0: and the sidelines he has not stepped out he may go all the way he needs one block and he'll do it easily Promise, mess i wouldn't do this mcdavid stops up what a move shoots scores
1: everybody welcome to the outsiders ouch that was a painful beginning you'll uh yeah, yeah listen we'll get into that in a minute well welcome to the outsiders powered by the Macintosh group at remax river city it's podcast 84 i'm Bryn griffiths he's robin brownlee and joining us from boca raton florida sitting back chilling is rod peterson rod how you doing uh, wonderful
0: guys. Wonderful to see you as always.
1: Isn't this great? I love technology. Here we are. You, know, you look like you've got the shorts going, you've got the Florida Panthers golf shirt going. It's a beautiful day down south. Up here in Canada, it is not. However, what it is, is it's at CFL playoff time. We had our two semifinal games on Sunday. The one game bored me horribly, and that was Montreal and Hamilton. I didn't I could barely watch it. The other game and I was just saying to Robin before we signed on, I did something yesterday on Sunday that I have not done all season long, and that is I watched a game from start to finish, to overtime finish in the game in in Regina. But let's uh, let's talk about the Western semifinal. Saskatchewan Roughriders getting by the Calgary Stampeders. Your thoughts, Rod, and then your thoughts on the game as well, Robin. But let's go down to Florida first.
0: I'm like you, Bryn. That was probably the first game that I watched from start to finish, too, and it was highly entertaining. And I'll be honest, uh, I never thought at any point in the game Saskatchewan was going to lose. But I felt, and I wrote several and recorded several commentaries last week, that you guys have been around sports a long time. The Riders were going to be the same team in that game that they were all year, and they were. Cody Fajardo (laughs) threw his head-scratching interceptions. They turned the ball over. They took bad penalties. Brett Lowther hit an upright but in this instance, they came back and won. They, they were doing that all year when they were nine and five. They were surviving in spite of themselves. And that's what happened in the game. Yeah, highly entertaining. The turnovers were a little unsightly six, I think, by halftime. It, it was kind of looking a little like State Fair football for a while. But I just, <laughs> in my bones, I never thought Saskatchewan was going to lose the game. And part of that was because Bo Levi just played terribly. And I assume you guys saw his news conference after. He admitted as much, which I think is hard for Bo. I really do. But the, the results were right there on film. And now, listen, we all know Saskatchewan can't play that way and win in Winnipeg. Saskatchewan knows that. But this, this time of year, it's all about winning games. And they did it. I don't think they have to make any apologies. And then I've already started thinking about the matchup of Jason Maz versus Richie Hall in this West Final and all those types of things. So they survived it and they've moved on.
2: Well, you know what? It was a a wildly entertaining game. I still can't get by the CFL's uh, overtime setup, but we're not going to change that even if we agree that I've never liked it. I don't know what you do. So if you don't have a solution, maybe you shouldn't criticize. But that aside, it was terrific. But I find myself thinking, Rod, maybe what you're thinking a little bit how does Saskatchewan beat Winnipeg? How does anybody beat Winnipeg? Uh, to me, uh, they're a notch above everybody.
0: Oh, there's no doubt. And I listen, I, we know social media is the cesspool of the world, but it's also funny at times. And Jason Vega, the former bomber, D. Lyman, wrote me on Twitter, and he said if he, if he throws four interceptions in Winnipeg, they might as well just leave the bus running next Sunday because they're going to be getting on it and going home very fast, right? So how do they be A, they just can't beat themselves. But Robin, I don't think they can beat Winnipeg because they're just not they're not in the class of Winnipeg.
1: Isn't this going to be all about patience? You've got to show patience against against a team like Winnipeg because all they do is they just they just wait for you to, to cough it up and then they take complete advantage of it. If you if you just try to stay as patient as possible and not make the mistakes, it should be a pretty close game. But can they do that, Rod?
0: Uh, there's a little more to Winnipeg's game than that, I think. To be honest, I think that's what Calgary has been in huffnagel's entire existence, that wait for you to screw up, and they pounce on you. Yeah. This isn't that. This Calgary team wasn't that. Winnipeg, they're bullies, gentlemen. They're bullies. They will kick your ass up and down the field and run you out of the park. Look at their games this year. 45 to nothing, just pulverizing teams. That's that's where I think Saskatchewan's in a lot of trouble here. Forget the turnovers and all the, which does decide games, but they got to find a way to stand up to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Look, I'm looking back at the Labor Day Classic and the Banjo Bowl with the Bomber they just, they destroyed Saskatchewan. Riders were 3-0 and going into that set. They got just split from neck to, na- to navel and never really recovered. I don't know how do you physically stand up to what's now a well-rested Winnipeg team because they had the semifinal weekend off. It's just, I'm interested to see when the betting line comes out. I don't know if it is yet or not, but my guess would be 7.5 minimum bombers will be favored in this one. How do you beat them? Technically you could scheme up a way, but you need to physically bully them. And I don't think anybody can.
2: No. I, and you know what? Uh, I mean, I know what Bryn's saying. They, they can wait, but here's the thing about the bombers. They're so good and they're so tough. Uh, if these mistakes that you talk about don't happen in the first five minutes, they'll say, screw this, <laughs> punch you in the mouth, and here's what we're going to do. Take some of this and take some of that, too. They don't just wait.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's the thing. And I, you know, but hey, but it's, it's Monday as we do this recording. Who knows what's going to happen this week? I was a little surprised when Fajardo came out the day before the semifinal. And talked about how we all have chips on our shoulders and the media has been dragging our name through the mud. And I'm like, what? I didn't see that, Cody. (laughs) Like he was taking a page out of the Tom Brady book and it clearly worked. Um, Not he had his four interceptions, but he also rushed for 89 yards. Richie Hall's defense isn't going to allow that to happen, guys. And the first time Cody Fajardo takes off with the ball, it's going to be his last. OK, <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm, I am they, they certainly can't think they're going to go in there and play the same game and expect to win. They're going to have to like if they try to finesse Winnipeg, it's not going to work.
1: No. The other thing, though, and this is a guy who's watched this league for a long time, as have both of you. And I go back to 1989, watched a nine and nine team come in to take a 16 and two team on that was untouchable through the regular season. Nobody it really gave. The Riders a chance at Commonwealth Stadium, and you know the weather was colder. All of a sudden, things had turned around. the The Eskimos team then basically had had a, had had things their own way through the regular season, and then sat on it for a week. And I felt Saskatchewan came in and really took them by surprise in the first quarter, and they just never seemed to re- recover. Now, I, all of this reminds me is that any given Sunday, right, guys? Is that, is that fair? I mean, anything can happen here.
0: What if the weather turns, Rod? Well, isn't this great that we all have the age that we do? Because I remember that West final of 1989. And listen, I'm from Saskatchewan. It's still part of lore there. They still talk about it almost every day that game. Randy Ambrosi was playing on the Edmonton Eskimos offensive yes. line. Yep. So from both sides, they'll tell you that the Riders blitzed them 40-plus times in that game. Right. And never saw that coming. No, I'm trying to Tracy ham was their quarterback. Was he not the hamster? And, and he was under constant pressure all day. Now that was a schematic thing. And I think this rider defense has the ability to do that. One thing that impressed me in the Western semifinal was the well-timed blitzes by Jason Shivers, the defensive coordinator. You guys know him. He was in Edmonton and you guys want to break up with him. So that again, it wasn't an all out brawl of a game. Yesterday, it was well-timed blitzes. I don't know if they have the personnel the personnel to blitz 40-plus times and have success. And will Winnipeg be ready for it? That's a pretty good offensive line now. Yep. And they protect Zach Caleros very well. But that's what happened that day. It was, it was a game plan that Saskatchewan hadn't shown all year. And that's something that they're probably going to have to do this week.
2: All I'm going to say is this. And yes, I do remember that game. In fact, I was probably... No, I didn't cover that game, but... You were just out of high school. uh, That would be cool, but no. I was just out of high school in 1976. But anyway, Bombers by 20. That's all I got to add. Okay. Bringing
1: it it right off the top there.
0: Okay. (laughs) Well, who are we to say no, but that seems whopping to me. But but it uh, easily could be that, guys.
1: It easily could be if things go the way we kind of think they may.
2: Hey, I'm I'm not going the full three touchdowns. I'm going 20. I saw what you did there. Yeah, I got it.
1: (laughs) Hey, there was an element of chippiness about that game, though, that I kind of enjoyed, but I was just waiting for somebody to take a dumb penalty at a dumb time, but it just seemed like when they needed to pull it in, especially as we were inching towards overtime, Rod, it just seemed like both teams got their focus going pretty well. But that chippiness is going to have to carry over for Saskatchewan to next weekend.
0: Well, again, be careful poking the bear. I just have so much respect for Winnipeg in all facets. But, I mean, if you're Brent Munson, the Stampeders defensive coordinator, how did you feel when you saw Sean Lemon reach up and stroke Duke Williams in the game on Sunday? You knew yeah. he was going to get kicked out. And it's funny because I think it was at halftime, whoever they were interviewing the, oh, was it Reggie Begleton? Somebody said, oh, he spit on our guy. Well, that wasn't penalized. This is playoff time, gentlemen. Yeah. I've said it a million times: the regular season is for lesson learning, and the playoffs are for putting that lesson learning into. You can't do stuff like that in the playoffs. Sean Lemon's their best defensive player. Yeah, you know that was a, that was a huge point in the football game on Sunday.
1: Okay, let's uh, let's quickly talk about uh, the Eastern game. So, did you watch much of it at all? It just seemed to me like it, Hamilton. I don't want to say toyed with Montreal, but it it was one of those games where I went, I don't think this game is ever in doubt here. Hamilton just seemed to turn it
0: up when they have to, Rod. Well, let me just say this. I watched five, ten minutes of it. My friends, particularly the footballers, are all like, are you going to the Dolphins game? Because they had the Panthers here yesterday. And I'm like, I'm trying to limit my sports watching to about one game a week if I can. I go to every Panthers game. So I was actually watching uh, Duke. I guess that was on Saturday. uh, Duke. Miami, so I'm trying, like I say, trying to limit it. So I got, I was in South Beach yesterday, came home, watched five ten minutes of the Hamilton game, and I just thought the conditions looked abhorrent. Was that freezing rain they were playing in? It's some fluffy
1: I, snow at one point. It it actually yeah. looked like a Western semifinal more than an Eastern semifinal, didn't it? Yeah.
0: Didn't it? Well, I just I felt bad for Trevor Harris because I just absolutely adore him as a player and a person, and he was much maligned. The Owls turned the ball over five times. I mean, they 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 didn't even. They didn't Hamilton didn't win it. Montreal lost it, in my opinion. Hamilton has no reason to feel bad or no apologies to make. But Hamilton got out of that one pretty easily. And now just like the West Final, I'm looking towards the East Final, just like you guys. And guys, going into the year, we had Pinball Clemens on our show and Pinball's knees were knocking. He's like, We got a brand new staff, we got a brand new quarterback, we got a brand (laughs) new everything. And we're playing the Great Cap champs four times. Uh And he wasn't sandbagging. Like he he like he likes to do. (laughs) <laughs> we all get right. suckered
1: in by pinball, that's for
0: sure. All, all, well, and who comes out smiling in the end? Him. Yeah. The Argos ended up beating Hamilton three out of four times in the regular season. like that. And handling, as I recall. And I don't see why this would change. And it's set, like, I just can't see any way the Saskatchewan gets past Winnipeg. But what a storyline it would be for the Grey Cup if it was John Murphy, Chris Jones, Argos, against the Riders yeah. who got rid of all those guys. Oh, what a story that would be. I just don't quite see that being in the car. I can see a Toronto Winnipeg breakup very easily.
2: Hmm. I tell you, it's fun. You mentioned, you mentioned South Beach. That's pretty cool, uh, especially when you're sitting here in Edmonton. Um, <laughs> although, if you're watching Florida Panthers hockey, Rod, as we all know, you're out in Sunrise, out past Sawgrass Mills, out past uh, where all the outdoor shuffleboards are. Um, Fort Lauderdale, yeah. It's, it's a big uh, – it's a nice dis- – I always found that trip uh, to Florida during the season a nice distraction. I saw a, uh, a photo of uh, – I think it was Jordan Eberle on your timeline. Did you have a chance to visit with anybody down there while you were at the game?
0: Oh, yeah, I talked to Ebs, and we talked about the game because the Kraken went in and snapped the Panthers' winning streak, right? The the Saturday night was their chance to make history. Best start ever, 12 straight wins at home, and the Kraken, it wasn't even a game. A game, 4-1, Seattle won it. Everly scored twice, and uh, we talked after the game, and he laughed because uh, he's like, you spend much time down here? I said, as much as I can, Ebs, and the Kraken's next game's in Buffalo, and they were hanging out down here. They were like, Let's, we're not getting in any rush to go to Buffalo. We're, <laughs> we're going to hang out in South Florida. So the, so the Kraken had a few extra days. He's loving Seattle, Jordan. He's still Jordan. Yeah. He just wishes they had more wins. But that was the first time I had a chance to watch them live. And dang, guys, they're not that bad. And it, what it showed me is the difference from the number one team to the 32nd team in the NHL isn't that big if you take your eye off the ball. They will, uh, uh, we'll Banthers get Panthers did Saturday.
1: We'll get back to more NHL talk in a minute, but we have to talk about what happened in Edmonton here over the past week because we were just wrapping up our podcast last week when somebody somebody at the Edmonton Elks Board of Directors had to stand up and say, There's something schooly around here. So they decided it was time to make a move, and they did. Uh, nobody's surprised by that. Nobody was surprised by the timing. We were not. We went back in and redid our extra on our podcast. It, it was uh, your thoughts on everything. And, and, and here's the other one, too. Wally Buono is involved in this. Wally's got his fingerprints on a lot of teams. This guy is a CFL guy, Wally, at the end of the day. But let's talk about everything. Your thoughts on what, what transpired in Edmonton over the past seven days.
0: Well, it just, just, yeah, to go in reverse chronological order on this, Wally gets it as you guys know, yeah. and here's the thing with Wally, he plays dumb. He's like, oh, I'm on the outside of everything with the CFL. Like, yeah, right, Wally, sure. Uh-huh. But i you know that he's going to get in there, guys, and get a look at the books of the Edmonton Elks franchise, I would think. He needs to know what the budget is, not only for hiring moving forward, what's the salary cap going to be next year? You guys have seen the crowds. Like, yeah. Wally's well, going to want to know intimately what the financial picture is of that team and this league I'm sure that'll have a ramification towards whomever they hire. I still think they should hire a president first and go from there. But like the else are saying, Wally's saying they're going to hire a GM first. And I, who am I to question, Wally? The thing is, I admire the Edmonton board for having the stones to make the move that they did. I think we all kind of doubted that they might. Like, it, it clearly had to be done. But did they have the stones to do it? And, and they did. And it just feels like, so it's funny you say that, Brandon. So we could go today... And then very quiet, very, very quiet. Do you have that sound effect?
1: I don't know. Hang on a second here. Let's see what I got. It's what like else have bomb? I got here? Oh, hang on a second. You better say your prayers, you flea bit environment.
0: There you go. Right. There's another one. Well, they they detonated the bomb, and oh, yeah. now they're picking up picking up the shrapnel around it. And boy, has it been quiet for over the last week there. Well,
2: it may be quiet because maybe everybody that's in a decision-making role is looking under the mattress and the uh, cubby holes at home for the dough it's going to take to uh, bring in some more people. Where's that going to come from when you're paying off Sunderland, paying off Preston, and paying off
0: uh, Jamie Elizondo? That's no small tab right there, Rod. No, and it's just – you to gonna... the one thing, though, is I talked to a couple Elks sponsors that said, I wasn't going to be in next year, but because they did this, I'm in. I was I was going to walk. So maybe financially this has sold some season tickets for next year. Maybe this has sold some sponsorships for next year, but it's going to take a lot of money, guys. Let's not forget the half a million they blew on Scott Milanovich. But as far as the dollars and cents of the CFL go, I've never been able to figure it out, and I sure as hell can't figure it out now. That's why I say if I'm Wally, i got to think he's cracked the books already. Just uh, host
1: another Grey Cup game to put a little more cash in the old piggy bank. Now, Ian Murray who I went to school with, is the head of the board. And he made a comment. I'm sure he would like to probably have reworded the comment, but I applauded the comment where he talked about the fact that demographically speaking, and he wasn't being critical of old white guys being the only ones coming out and supporting. No, he he wasn't. He was being critical of the fact that they recognized that they had to diversify their crowds. Their crowds could not be all 50-plus guys. It couldn't be. And, and another classic example is we saw what happened with the soccer matches here where they had two crowds of almost 50,000, one over 50,000. Very diverse, very young. It was a blast to be at that game. And then you go to Elk games, and it's just not the same way. I think the comments he made were very appropriate. I just think some people took the comments the wrong way. And I'll bet you Ian would have would have liked to have worded it maybe a little bit different, but I don't think he's wrong, guys.
0: Rod? Go ahead, uh, Robin. Go ahead, Rob. You go first, Robin. Okay. Well,
2: uh, yeah, Brent and I talked about this. I think he completely butchered what he said. Uh, and he did criticize white, old white guys. He What the thing is, he didn't mean to, but just read the wording. If that's not a criticism, I don't know what is. But well, what's the he, criticism? Well, the message, the message. Uh, was botched, but the sentiment behind it is true. You need to you need to diversify. You need to expand the fan base. Uh, and I think people, once they're finished with the social media outrage for the 15 minutes, which should have passed by now, will go. Yeah, we knew we know what he meant, and I know what he meant. But he did botch the way he sold it. That's all.
0: Well, guys, you know I was in the league for 20 years, and they've been talking for at least the last 10 about how they need to make the games more entertaining. And Edmonton's been good with their halftime concerts and stuff, where they weren't up until this year. Um, but I saw from that news conference they blamed COVID for their poor attendance, and they blamed vaccine passports, and they blamed, and they blamed, and they blamed. And, yeah. Bryn, I'm still not over the 50,000 that showed up twice for soccer in minus 16. Like, I get that it's a different sport, it's a different event. It's about the number of people that showed up. They weren't afraid of COVID. They weren't afraid of you know what I mean. So it was all excuses from Edmonton and for that matter, the entire CFL why attendance is down. So I just again I've heard it so many times in COVID in a variety of uh, industries. It's hard to learn to swim when you're drowning. Yeah. And and the one thing is the CFL wants us to believe and the fans that everything's great. We pulled yeah. off these playoff games. The games were great. They looked great. And I just. Guys, it's not great. <laughs> it's not No, it great. isn't. Look at
1: look, let's look at that. <laughs> we're gonna get to this anyway at some point. The the crowd in Regina, it seemed like it was half full for a playoff game, and that is not what I expect out of Saskatchewan at all. And to me, it's one thing to have a crowd half full at Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton where there's some other things to do, but the riders are it. They're the big show in Saskatchewan. And if only the if the building's only half full, is what what what's the problem? What, I don't want to say what's the problem there, but maybe we can use it to, as a barometer. What's the problem around the league? I know one thing. If it's like that in Regina, that gets my attention more than a, if it's a half crowd in Calgary or Vancouver or Edmonton. Your thoughts?
0: Well, in Saskatchewan, the, I don't think the riders are saying anything about the poor attendance, but the pundits are. And there's just a lot of people that are continue to blame it on vaccine passports or people being afraid to go to big stadiums and crowds. So I guess if that's what allows you to keep your job and allows you to sleep at night, then fine. But what are you going to do when we are back to normal and the crowds still aren't there? That's all that I'm saying, especially when I see NHL. Look, Well, Florida's not a good example. The Seattle Panther game here was 15,000 people legit. The Dolphins have had 80,000 every game, but that's America. Apples yeah. and oranges, I get that. But in Saskatchewan, I guess when you're asking why is the crowd so low, the pundits are saying it's because of COVID and because of the proof of vaccination need. So I'll go along with that. Why not? I don't want to be a negative Nancy here today.
1: Oilers have only had two sellouts so far this season. And look at their record. So what? there is something going on in Canada. Toronto Maple Leafs have been scrambling to sell out a building that's been sold out since I was born. That's a long time ago, you
2: guys. <laughs> what are they still playing in maple leaf gardens bren they were <laughs> they were but i i yeah i mean that you know what i don't know the answer but when you look around and see the empty seats did you say the crowd was 15k uh rod in florida the other day there that's what they announced and it looked
0: darn close to that yeah
2: well that's real good for down there uh uh you know at the, at the best of times uh They've, uh, they've had a lot of nights down there where it's sort of uh, friends and family only in the... Uh, in
0: the For stadium. a long time.
2: <laughs> yeah, very long time.
0: Uh, so my I'm, favorite
2: part of that arena
1: in, in Sunrise is at the one end where it shows the temperature in Sunrise and then it always shows the temperature where the team that is visiting is. And, of course, <laughs> when you're covering the Edmonton Oilers, you would see it's uh, you know 24 degrees in Sunrise and minus 24 in Edmonton. It's always kind of fun. <laughs> Hey, uh, any NHL stories kind of catching uh, catching your attention these days, Rod?
0: Well, there's yeah a ton. I mean, what are we? U.S. Thanksgiving. They always say U.S. Thanksgiving is yeah. the cutoff for you realizing what you have as a team in the NHL. <laughs> We're kind of formulating some ideas here. I don't think Vegas knows yet what they have. You know, um, Edmonton went in there and got out to that big lead. The Oilers are what we thought they would be. Uh, the Jets are struggling. Um, but I, again, this is where the wheat and the chaff usually separate. Here's the one thing that bothers me and you guys will, I think, appreciate this as hockey guys. Um, and I go, Robin, are you coming around to realizing I'm not a football guy? I'm a hockey guy first. Have you figured that out yet? Have you realized that
1: Kenny Holland announcement uh, a few years ago, kind of made that perfectly <laughs> no. clear. That was, that
0: was, that was just luck. That was luck. I'm telling you. <laughs> I agree. You. Every, every, everything's luck. But Eberly and I had this debate. Because I said, I'm shocked that the Panthers played Spencer Knight, their rookie goalie against you guys, on a night where they can make NHL history. And Ebbs said, well, Bobrovsky played the night before in Washington. And I said, come on. These guys come from junior where they played three games in three nights. I said, Ebbs, you played last night in Tampa. Why can't the goalie play? And Kelly Rudy and I have debated this. He doesn't get it either. it's, It's become, you know, the code in hockey. They've rewritten this into the code goalies can't play on back-to-back nights. And I think it's ridiculous, especially with body recovery stuff and all the rest. Now, how do you not, when you're going for an NHL record, not play your number one guy, Sergei Bobrovsky. And to be honest, Chris Dreger won the goaltending battle that night for the Florida Panthers. So when you ask what are my NHL stories, uh, Brent, it's I'm just following the Panthers really closely, and that's one thing that sticks in my cross that goalies can't play on back to back nights. It's ridiculous.
2: Well, you know what, and I'm just going to leapfrog here, Rod, because you talk about that, and the one thing I've I've read, and I, I mean I'm not going to say I don't buy it because numbers are numbers. The analytics guys will tell you it's not a good idea. Now, in many cases. I I don't really care what you can find a number to say anything, but I will ask you about one guy uh, to tied into analytics. I sat here for years listening to some guys criticize. Uh, you know, they just they 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 didn't like the player, and I'm talking about Chris Russell here. Well, Chris Russell, why did he? Why is he, is he? not even an NHL player. Why the Oilers? Blah 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 blah. I loved it the other night. Nay, hey, not a glam stat, but took over the career lead in block shots. Um, that's a tough way to make a living. Chris Russell has been a real good NHL player for a long time, in my books. Uh, what did you think of that little news item? It was hardly headline stuff, but all time
0: shots leader. That's the black and blue award, if ever there was one. Yeah, and he's not a defensive defenseman either. <laughs> So the one thing, I mean, you guys have been around the NHL a long time. Bryn's worked in it. You, your number one prerequisite to play in the NHL is to be able to skate. And Chris yeah. Russell is a tremendous skater. Watched him for years, obviously, in Medicine Hat in the Western League and then with the yeah. Flames. This is a guy that has worked to stay in the National Hockey League. And he finds his way onto the power play because of his offensive abilities. So I just I respect the hell out of Chris Russell. What he's from, Carberry? for car stairs. He's just a good Alberta kid. Yeah. Caroline. To, Caroline. Caroline yep. I knew it was the seat. I knew it was a hard seat. So <laughs> anyways, I respect, I respect a guy that does whatever he does to do to stay in the NHL. Cause he's not the most physically gifted guy.
2: No. Yeah,
1: no, that's a fair, fair way of putting it. You know, you know where they could have used Chris Russell's toughness was in section two Oh two at the game. Uh, when the uh, Vegas uh, Golden Knights were uh, hosting the Edmonton Oilers. Did you guys see the footage of the woman who took off her artificial limb and was beating the guy? Have you seen that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no idea what was said by uh, the Oilers fan. I'm per- I'm assuming it was an Oilers fan that, that uh, took the shit-kicking because I could see the Oilers colors through the, the mass of humanity. But what would have had to have been said to have a woman... <laughs> take off her artificial limb and start using it as a beating tool on another fan. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. I just, I couldn't believe the footage I was watching, but this is the new world we live on. If somebody has got a, if somebody has got a mobile device, you're going to see it, Rod.
0: Well, you probably remember uh, a couple of years ago in Vegas, the fans took a San Jose sharks flag away from a sharks fan and beat him with it. So <laughs> Yikes. Vegas, Vegas, still going to be Vegas, Guys, yeah. like I've seen some crazy things in Battle of Alberta games, but don't discount Vegas. They take their sports very seriously. Hey,
2: the number one WTF moment I'm saying it's got to be unanimous here, guys. Has has got to be Joe Cap and Angie Mosca. I thought
1: of that while I was watching this. And and by the way, we did lose uh, Angie here in the last little while. Rod, yeah. did you ever any? Did you ever have a chance to to get a good chat with
0: that guy? Because he was colorful you guys would appreciate this. It was about 2003. I go into Hamilton with the riders, Carm Cartier and I, my longtime coloring guy walked into the cats offices the day before the game and who was sitting there having coffee, Angelo Mosca and Ron Lancaster and <laughs> Carm's jaw dropped on the floor. Yeah. And I'm like, what, what? And he goes, Oh, for a hockey puck like you, that would be like you walking into an office and seeing Wayne Gretzky and Glenn say they're having coffee. Like, this is yeah. pure Canadiana and CFL gold. And they said, it hey, was the CFL. They're like, sit down, guys, join us. And we just sat there and listened to those guys talk football for a couple of hours. And then the night after the Cap Mosca fight at Grey Cup, I ran into Angie at the Pan Pacific Hotel in Vancouver. He was coming off an escalator with his cane. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I walked up and I said, are you okay, Angie? That, you really took one off the chin. And he winked and he goes, ah, it's all about entertainment. And then he just kept walking. So I'm frankly not old enough to really remember his antics on the field, but I can't or in the ring. But yeah. Alan Ford, the former rider, GM, and player, told me that they went to Stampede Wrestling in the Regina Auditorium when Angie was fighting one night and Mosca leaned out of the rink and said, or out of the ring and said, Ford, you're next. <laughs> and Al was like, I didn't know if he was joking or not. <laughs> Um, I, often, I often
1: wondered if he'd connected with that cane, would we have had, we would be talking about that episode differently because uh, it seemed very well
0: orchestrated, but it looked good. Joe cap wasn't fake. And I can tell you that
2: I tell you, pretty good it slug. Is, it is the, uh, we all face it guys. And it's part of part of living, It's part of getting old. And I tell you what, I saw both those guys in their prime and, to me i just went man that's kind of feeble guys let's not start fighting at that age and uh <laughs> move move along because really if you saw the stuff that all started it and i didn't see it live but i would have been 6 years old at the time on the hit uh, that that got all this crap started uh I hate to see athletes that have been so great at points in their careers as strong, vital young men, and then you see them in a cane fight in their how old would they have been when that happened? It was it was kind of feeble, let's be honest here. Chris
0: Berman well, loved it. He uh, loved it. Hey, it was they were both in their mid to late seventies when that happened. Yeah. <laughs> because I think Angie was eighty-eight when he passed last week. Um, but that's football guys. That is that that's football guys. Yeah. They don't let things go. And what was the great, was it the 66 or 68 great cup? I think it was,
1: I think it was 68, but I don't know. I mean, I was a tiny tot.
0: It was a late hit. Oh, you sure it was. On Joe Cap. And in, in that great cup that he just, they, neither one of them can let go. And Willie that Fleming too. Surprise. Don't forget
1: There's Willie that, Fleming hit. Right. It's a that nasty does not one.
0: Surprise me. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me that they couldn't let it go.
1: Hey, before we let you go, cause you got a, a show to do uh, tell everybody where they can catch you and how, how's everything going?
0: Well, couldn't be better, man. <laughs> um, yeah. It's like uh, game plus television live daily at noon Eastern and uh, all across Alberta. It's available on Telus optic TV. We had a lot of viewers in Alberta, I yeah, appreciate that, Bryn. Yeah. Tell us, Optic TV, if that's your cable, look up Game Plus, and we're on every day at 10 a.m. Mountain.
1: And thanks for lowering your standards and having Robin and I on frequently. We wanted to thank you I for that. I love
0: it. Yeah. we got to have old guys like us with a historical perspective. I can't believe what people have <laughs> forgotten sports these days.
1: Uh, we're going to let you go because it's tapioca night at the home down there in Boca Raton for you tonight, so uh, good luck with that, okay?
0: Don't uh, forget. Board starts right away, yep. Two Two forty
1: times. Very, very
0: important.
1: (laughs) Hey, now joining us on The Outsiders, powered by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City, is our good friend who we have not talked to in a very, very long time. We've never talked to him on this podcast, in fact. Jeff Crischel joins us, who is a physical fitness expert in so many ways, and he joins us. How are you doing today?
3: Really, really good. Thanks for having me on, guys. This is uh, um, my uh, debut here, so I'm uh, pretty ex- excited.
1: Okay, for somebody who might be picking us up somewhere who does not listen to your podcast, and we'll get into that later, tell everybody how you got started doing this, what you're doing specifically, and I know you're so in, you're so tied in with uh, professional athletes that, uh, that uh, that's where we're going to jump in in a couple seconds, but kind of bring everybody up to speed.
3: Yeah, you know, we stepped away from the Blue Jays. I was was the head strength and conditioning coach for the Blue Jays through the late 90s, early 2000s. My dad had a heart attack and we were having our third baby on the way. So we made a a real, you know, professionally a tough decision, but a life decision that just made sense for our whole family. You know, I was really close to my grandparents growing up. And, of course, we'd relocated to Toronto with the Blue Jays and uh, we wanted our kids to know their grandparents. So when my dad had his heart attack, um, we decided to step away, consulted with those guys and, you know, it was, you know, really tough to step away from that organization and that team environment. But when I came back to Edmonton, man, it was really, really nice to come back and, and, uh, the embrace of everybody here, including you guys, Bren, which was sort of the start of the radio side. You know, I came on as a guest, uh, at the sports station here in Edmonton, uh, a couple of times. And one thing led to another, I think there was a pretty good response to our conversations. And that kicked off Crush Performance. And we're going into our 16th year on the air now, which has been great. And the podcast, this whole virtual podcasting world has opened up so many lines of communication. So, again, our whole uh, platform is sport performance and long-term development and just helping people, you know, realize their their goals in sport. And it's been a ton of fun along the way and lots of great people as well. Now, I got to
2: ask – All those years, um, how much has your field changed from the time you started till today? Advancements, different ways of looking at uh, training and and fitness, and let's not forget the last couple of years in a situation where people aren't getting together like they once were.
3: Yeah, yeah, this is one of the biggest challenges for sure. But I think, guys, I can use the Blue Jays sort of to sum sum up that, that question, Robin. It's changed dramatically. So to give you an idea of back in the day, like late 90s, early 2000s with the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, We would load up a semi truck in Toronto with equipment and everything we would need at spring training, including some of the training uh, equipment that we that we had in Toronto. And they would bring it down to our complex in Dunedin, Florida uh, for spring training. It usually get there early February. So everybody's there. And back in the day, this is what I had to do. Uh, for for Major League Spring Training, right? We would take over the the complex and the stadium there, and they would clean out the grounds crew shed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we
3: we would move in all the equipment and set up this temporary gym where the lawn mowers and the lawn equipment and all the grounds crew guys had their stuff. No air conditioning, some fans coming through in in Florida. And now, if you were to go to Dunedin. Uh, you would see the Blue Jays new training complex. It's $110 million sport performance athlete development mecca. Like there is truly probably nothing like it in the world right now. The Blue Jays are on the forefront. And I think if you were to look at the contrast just from the early 2000s to mm-hmm. what the Blue Jays are doing now, that sums up the entire field of sport performance and, and athlete development. It's just been a crazy whirlwind of development. It's It's driven by science. And then to uh, finish off that, that, that question there, you know, we've just sort of gone through one of the most challenging times in sport that we've ever had. Well, in mankind, I think, you know, in our in, in, in recent history anyway. I mean, you know, it's the Spanish flu and, you know, we've had our issues before, but but in recent history, um, this COVID thing has really, really been a challenge. And in sports, some very unique challenges as well. Hey, before
1: we jump all over that, because I'm really kind of curious to see how athletes have kind of come through all of this as we continue to go through it, but you've seen a change in athletes in the way they approach their physical fitness and that type of thing over the last 25 years. Are you? I don't think you're amazed by that, but you got to shake your head because some guys are just so fanatical and so detailed about their, uh, their regiment.
3: Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. No, no. It's very fair to say. And I'm not going to, you know, if we were to go back, you know, into the golden days of NFL football or the NBA, we would find those guys, those guys, you know, based on what was happening at the time, we would find those guys who were fanatical about their sport, passionate and, you know, leaving no stone unturned. I think what's happened now is, you know, and the internet and technology has really educated people. I think, you know, we've really got an idea of what it takes. And people have an idea of what it takes, maybe to a fault. I mean, you know, if you look at developmental sport, for example, there was, a, there was an incredible article like a couple years ago. Guys, I want to say maybe 2017, it was in Sports Illustrated. We'll have to look this up to get it to everybody. But if you want a great article to read... It's something like the title was um, how how uh, developmental sport became a $17 billion industry. And it goes back and sort of outlines, but you know, you look at, this is youth development. You're looking at youth development now generating more revenue than any of the pro sports. And it's gone crazy. And, I, uh, you know, you go back and look at what's happening in terms of the dropout rates, injury rates, the overuse injuries. We're seeing overuse injuries in basketball, for example. We're seeing overuse injuries in 10, 11, 12-year-olds that we never used to see until guys were veterans in the NBA. So the landscape has changed. And there's issues there for sure. And we have to adapt. We're slow to adapt. Uh, but with the greatest of intentions, and I say this at all my presentations and on our radio show too, Um, and i do catch some flack for it but i stand by it with the greatest of intentions guys i really do believe we're destroying more talent in our developmental models than we're creating so so yeah these athletes today are coming through these systems where they've been specialized so early and they have their routines and we're seeing all that and and i think it's going to recalibrate i'm hoping uh sooner or later conversations like this might help um but but i i i would say I'm not sure if we're actually seeing the very best of our athlete talent pool. I think we're seeing the survivals of an incredibly broken, uh, survivors of an incredibly broken system.
2: Wow. Jeff, uh, we're going to jump into the stuff Bryn was talking about, but you say something that reminds me of, I mean, I think Bryn and I are both a little older than you. I was a I was a pretty decent lacrosse player. Uh, had I wanted to keep going, I I probably had a chance to, maybe play some pro and make no money at it because there was no money at it. Uh, <laughs> but I remember you in the late sixties and even into the early seventies, when you look at how not just training has changed, but nutrition and just general knowledge, there was a time when you didn't get water because the feeling was it would give you, cramp- uh, it would give you cramps. You got a sectioned orange to suck on, to provide uh, that dampness and that juice. Can you imagine denying an athlete water mid-game now? It's it's unbelievable how things have changed.
3: Oh, no, it is. Yeah, Robin, that's a great example, right? We just know that... If for any athletes, parents or coaches who listen to this show, you know, or or are listening to this hydration is the lowest hanging fruit in human performance, human performance, human performance beyond sport. We're talking academics, learning at school. We're talking fat metabolism and sleep. We're talking on the job site, injury prevention, the way your brain works. You know, there's so much we know now about hydration and again, driven by science for sure. But yeah, that's a great example. You know, another, uh, you know, along those lines, if we just look at some of the general concepts that have just been blown out of the water, you know, static stretching, for example, you do not and cannot. You can't do it. You can't do those long, full on hard stretches prior to competition or practice, full-out practice. It really, really does make an athlete more susceptible to injury. We know that now, but it also can decrease performance dramatically. And then probably one of the most recent major changes that is still, still seeing some, some uh, push, pushback is the idea about using ice for, for injury management. We now know for a fact that ice is not a good tool for injury management and the new science and data is showing us it can actually impede and set back the progression of injuries in terms of recovery. So now we're seeing ice free training rooms in colleges. It's starting to get into the pro game. So yeah, all these concepts that we, we thought were tried and true uh, we're shifting, which is great. I mean, we need to shift. And those are some big ones for sure.
1: So you telling me then that, uh, and I still remember Ethan Morrow is a classic example when he was with the Edmonton Oilers and I, and I was in the public relations department and Ethan didn't want to blow off the lactic acid by riding the bikes after the game. So he did the bath of death. We called it where he submerged his body, uh, up to his mid chest in a tub of ice water. And you could just feel everybody in the medical room going, Ugh. so guys, did they still do that? Can you still do that?
3: The ice baths are still there. You can go in any pro football room, college room. The ice baths are there, but it's strategic now, right? We know know there's some benefits to the cryo side of it, you know, the, the coldness. Yeah. The contrast is really the magic, though. The hot tub, cold tub, hot showers, cold showers, hot packs, ice packs. That's where the magic really lies in terms of recovery and management. But to get back to that lactic acid thing for all the kids and athletes out there, there is no substitute for submaximal, just easy cycling or or cardiovascular work to get the blood chemistry back to normal. Because after exercise or competition, the body has priorities, right? And that's why, you know, you still to this day, well, not so much now, because now they have the media rooms. They get the guys out of the training rooms. The guys do their their media interviews, which I kind of. I'm kind of bummed out about it. I, I think you guys probably are too. I used to love when the reporters and the news guys, and they would go in there and the guys are riding the bikes after the game, yeah. talking on the bike. I used to enjoy that, but, but there's a good reason they were on those bikes. They, you know, they would, they would, uh, that that's the recovery process. Get the blood, get the lactic, get it back to normal, because that's the first thing the body's worried about is making sure the blood's normal. So the brain can get what it needs and then it'll start repairing tissues. So yeah, yeah, it's changed a lot, but, but yeah, ice is out guys for sure.
1: Wow. Okay, COVID. This is the uh, number one reason why we wanted to track you down, is that we're starting to see, because COVID is everywhere, and while we are not scientists, we are not doctors, we uh, we are, are observers, but you see it differently than we do. I'm surprised how some guys are able to come through this when maybe the, the COVID has, uh, the bug has reached certain locker rooms. Some guys are able to avoid it, uh, whether they're double vaxxed or whatever, but some guys who contract it seem to be able to get over it quicker than other guys is. Do you, do you have any, do you have any idea why that is?
3: Well, well, I don't, I don't think there's any simple answer here. Um, You know, there's, there's some theories coming out of the medical uh, arena saying that the amount of exposure uh, has an influence on how it impacts you. So there's all these variables we don't know about. Here's what we do know, though. The guys who are taking care of themselves and managing themselves and recovering properly have a stronger immune system without question. And that's why, you know, if you really were to follow athletes from a, you know, a 30,000 foot view, you could probably really determine why some guys are more susceptible to injuries and some aren't. For sleep, for example, is our number one priority in performance. The guys who actually have a sleep program or are paying attention to sleep they have a better immune system. They recover better better from the stress of exercise and competition. Nutrition hydration would be number two, right? Rest and recovery. Um, but we know the guys who have spent time, you know, preparing themselves for the rigors of sport have probably a, a higher likelihood of, of not contracting it or having maybe um, a lesser response to something like a COVID or even a common cold or the flu, for example. Here's what people don't understand about these athletes. You know, if you really look at what they're dealing with, they're some of the most unhealthy people on the planet. You know, they're perceived as these great in shape, you know, healthy people. But if you look at the competitive schedule, the type of training that you need to do to be one of the world's best athletes, leave alone the travel and the time zones. Uh, you got to understand that these guys and ladies who who are in this world. Uh, These people aren't aren't healthy, and that's part of the athlete management strategies for professional sport. You know, sleep science has creeped in. It's huge now, huge, and that's why it's our number one priority in all of our programs. You know, way back in the early 90s with the Blue Jays, I think we were probably the first organization to – first start talking about sleep, sleep habits and sleep science for our for our players, especially when we were crossing time zones. So I think we were ahead of the curve there. But we've seen an entire industry evolve around, you know, sleep habits for not just athletes, but people in general, we don't get enough sleep. So Brent, I think there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle. I don't think there's any easy answer. But I can say this with great confidence. You know, the athletes who are worn down a little bit, overtraining or haven't managed their schedule or outside stresses, even life stresses outside of sport can really, really put those athletes at risk for, you know, whether it's COVID or the flu or the common cold for being maybe a little more susceptible to that sort of thing.
2: You know, it's interesting, Jeff, there's so much range out there. I know we like to try and break things down and put them into compartments uh, that we can easily digest and and understand. You say what you just said, and I think of a guy that we all know, uh, George Lorac got COVID and was in the hospital, and no longer a competitive athlete and, frankly, a guy in his 40s now. Um, Outside of, I want to say he was in the hospital for, Three, maybe four days. It was like a long weekend. He was back out and fine after that. Yet we've seen some guys right in the prime of life who've struggled and are now sort of in that long haul mode. We really don't know uh how it plays out at this point, do we?
3: No, we really don't. And you know, I guess, guys, an analogy that I I would use here from our world is the whole conversation of concussions. Like, look. Bryn, Robin, we could be playing the same game. Robin, we could have the same impact in, let's say, hockey. And I might be out for a year. You might be back in three days. Yeah. Is, there's just so many variables that we maybe don't even understand yet, but, but it's a process and it's very, very unique to the individuals. I can, you know, again, it goes back to that sort of the holistic health and wellness thing. I think people who are, you know, in, in better shape will have a better chance of you know not being impacted by this as much but but yeah there there are so many things that can play a role in how something like covid affects you now getting away from the individual side guys we've seen some incredible things happen you know when this thing came on this whole thing came on and and in the world of sports shut down what like what how is that possible? Right? Yeah. And we have athletes again, in my role with major league baseball, I I consult with them on the global development for major league baseball. And, you know, we have all these incredible athletes who are entering their senior year of high school or entering a college year or getting into draft eligibility and everything's shut down. Oh my gosh. What a challenge mentally for these athletes So the physical side, we have that down, you know, but to deal with the stress of not knowing this COVID thing. Right. So in, in our radio show, we put together guys, what I thought was, you know, this last year, when we look back at this last year, 2020, 2021, uh, something that I'm, I'm quite proud of, like, you know, just, just, just me personally, this, we put together a little two, three part series called the kids of COVID looking at, Hey, and this was sort of early on in, in 2020, 2022, uh, you know, uh, 2021, um, looking at what are the potential impacts here and and what are the problems we're facing? How can we start making good decisions around what's going on with COVID? But most importantly, how can our seniors in high school, athletes or not, um, the athletes that are making the transition into a higher, higher level of sport, collegiate and professional, how can they maybe use this downtime to build themselves up better? And we had an incredible conversation with Dr. Eric Holt, from the University of Alberta, the, the dean of the kinesiology department. Uh, he deals with childhood athlete development. It was a fascinating discussion. It was one of our first episodes on our kids of COVID. And we're just talking about, hey, what, what is the upside of this thing and how can we turn this to our advantage? And he's talking about, okay, this downtime, if we handle it properly, you know, if we handle this... Properly and and start focusing on skill development and maybe individual technical, tactical work, this could be a huge opportunity that we've never seen in sport before. Where have athletes been able to walk away from a competitive schedule in the middle of seasons and all of a sudden focus on stuff that can make them better? So he came up with this little um, phrase that's just resonated. I've got it on my board here. Um, He called it COVID technical advantage. For those of us, and for those people out there that really harnessed and understood the opportunity here, um, there was a potential for a huge advantage. So now, as we come out of COVID, we're looking to see if those kids that and and teams and organizations that really supported their athletes, you know, through virtual world like this, if these athletes are actually now at a higher skill level, and without question, we've seen it for sure. Right. And so there's a lot of things to watch here, especially now that we're getting back into full steam sport. It's, it's incredible.
1: Well, you'd be very impressed with me. I'm on a sleep program as we speak. Like every afternoon at 5 o'clock, I just nod off in my chair when I get home. So I don't know if that's the kind of program you're talking about, but I got it. Oh, naps for
3: everybody, man. We've got two big sayings, man. (laughs) Naps for everybody, never be afraid of a cookie.
1: (laughs) Hey, Crush, how can can everybody get a hold of you? Uh, Tell everybody where they can find you, the podcast and everything like that, and on Twitter, okay?
3: Yeah, CrushPerformance.com, our website. We've got a new website coming, guys. we got a, uh, some really new initiatives that are going to be presented there, just better ways to communicate. We're actually going to be putting together a coaching course out of demand, you know, just because we haven't been around. So I've just been working my butt off behind the scenes. And this is this first one's for baseball and volunteer moms and dads, but it gets pretty intense. Uh, Just fun stuff. And how do we help our baseball players, the young boys and girls who love the game, you know, so there's an online course coming CrushPerformance.com. That's crush with a K and on Twitter at Jeff crush crush with a K. So yeah, I really appreciate that guys.
1: I just wish you'd had a higher enthusiasm level for this podcast today. That's the uh, the only thing. So I think yeah, I've so-
3: I have so I was so fired up when I got your email. No, I'm really really great. Happy to be on, guys.
1: How long have I been saying that to you too? Since we, like, when did you? What year did you come on with us at? Uh, what was then Team 1260 now, which is TSN 1260 in Edmonton? What What year did you join us? Can you remember? 2006.
3: 2006. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's when that's when I first met you and Alan Mitchell. Yeah, we're. Yeah. We're, we're Low my tied. go-to guys. Still are my go-to guys, man.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Well, listen, man, we'll have to get you back on another time, but this is fantastic, and uh, continued success with the podcast and also your website. It's great.
3: Yeah, thank you, guys. Hey, by the way, <laughs> it's
1: tapioca night at the home. Is that good for me or no?
3: Oh, yeah, go for it. All yeah, right. Absolutely,
1: man. Okay. The Outsiders is brought to you by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. So here we are. We're inching a little bit closer to Christmas. And you would think that in the Metro Edmonton market, things would be slowing down a little bit on the real estate front. But it's surprisingly very steady right now, which is great. Brent McIntosh is just back from his European junket where he was representing Canada, along with other REMAX agents from across Canada. They were over in Europe having some fun. But Brent's back now. And He's quite pleased with the way things are moving along. In fact, he just sold a home for a really good friend of mine, Chris, just recently. It took about 30 days to to uh, sell and then Chris went on and bought another home in the in the market. So there is definitely something going on and it is a positive. But if you are looking to sell your current home and maybe buy something new, then make sure you give them a call at 780-464-0075 or you can check them out online at mcintoshgroup.ca they'll start you off with a complimentary evaluation of your current home there's no obligation at all and certainly no deadline for this offer but don't let the market pass you by so both buyers and sellers are more than welcome to call the mcintosh group at remax river city you can do it directly once again the phone number 780-464-0075 or you can find them at mcintoshgroup.ca and tell them the outsider sent you Mmm, tapioca. You know, I can't stand that stuff. I don't know why I keep making fun of it, but I, it's more an age thing for me. Are you a
2: tapioca guy, Robin? No, but I tell you what, I am a rice pudding guy. Oh, really?
1: And I, I do oh, like yogurt. Yeah. I'll give you that. So we're doing our part to kind of keep everybody happy.
2: You no, know, we are We are. Sh- reading down the hill into that abyss. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. We are, uh, we, are on, we are on the way to the, uh, the, uh, the, the I guess, the epitome of of, of uh, the golden years. We are on our way to that big uh, shuffleboard I mentioned in uh, Yeah. In the center.
1: Well, I, the way I view it, we're both playing the back nine. It's just that I'm going to be probably shooting a seven and an eight on the last couple of holes but we'll see okay hey before we go just a couple of uh, quick things one brady kachuk uh uh this whole biting episode with lemieux did you see this the other night yes come on seriously like i just don't understand why like what like how bad does it have to be where you're gonna take a well i mean we saw Mike Tyson do it. I guess are uh, we were really surprised? But it, I to me, that's about as low as it gets.
2: I am. I am, hey, and and let's let's be honest here. The Kachuk boys uh, can draw strong opinions. Uh, oh sure, uh, all the time. But I'll tell you what. I'm completely with him on this. I think Lemieux is a. I won't go as far as to say he's a bit of a joke as a player. He's good enough to have made it to the National Hockey League. A can't do that, man. that is short of, I mean, I'm trying to think of him, him, you know, when you inflict some serious bodily injury with a hit from behind or something uh, that, that to me is even beyond spitting at an opponent. I mean, that is a complete disrespect. Spit is gross. Yeah. Spit needs to meet be double digits for a suspension, no matter what. I don't care. You can't spit at a guy. But to me, you're gonna sink your teeth into a uh, guy. It's
1: lower than nah. low. Nah.
2: I know it doesn't fly. Can't, can't, can't be allowed to fly. I hope they don't I hope they don't chicken out on this one, man. He's gotta he's gotta get shit and then he's gotta get shit on top of that because you can't bite people uh anywhere in life, let alone out in the arena of competition like that, especially with what's happening and what's going around now, yeah. uh, no way,
1: none. That's how I view it as well. People beating other fans over the head with a oh. with an appendage and uh, and and now biting. I mean, what a week it's been. Hey, let's end it on a on. I call it a happy note, and I will. Uh, let's talk about the fact that we are moving into the month of December, and this is wrapping up Movember. And one thing that, I, I, that has bothered me is that there are people out there very critical of guys who are growing mustaches to support Movember, which obviously is to highlight prostate cancer. And I, that bothers me. And the reason why it bothers me is I don't care if a guy can grow a mustache or not. And some no. people can, some cannot. The fact that somebody's trying – and is trying to raise awareness and/or funds for Movember. I mm-hmm. I give two strong thumbs up to. I it just it, it, I've heard people say, "Oh, that mustache is awful." I don't care. Thank Ooh. you for doing it. That's all I'm going to say.
2: I I, I ask uh, out of ignorance, Bryn, and uh, I'm I'm playing it straight. Who are the assholes that are criticizing uh, people for growing mustaches? They're yeah. everywhere
1: really it it really bothers me it bothers me when somebody's critical of somebody's mustache in the month of november in particular especially guys who know that they can't grow one but they're doing it
2: that's whether you can grow one or not isn't the point the point is the cause correct it's the old saying and, and and correct me if if people haven't heard this, it's the thought that counts. yeah uh, not the stash. although I gotta say our friend Darren Dreger, he had quite the duster. He had that on uh, Twitter uh, that I saw on the last day or two. Uh, he came up with the nice handlebar job on this one. Did you see it? No. well, you better have a look dregs came through with the uh, with the killer stash. I will have to take
1: a look at that. And uh, the other thing, too, our good friend Gene Principe, who will have to get on at some point. Not only has Gene got a duster going, but he's starting to look, as was pointed out by our good friend Dwayne Mandrusiak, said that Gene is starting to look like a young Albert Einstein. And uh, and I started doing comparable photos on my Twitter account, which is uh, at Bryn Mighty Mouth, if you want to take a peek at it. But you know what? Uh, Dwayne is absolutely correct. G- Gino is starting to look like Albert a little bit. So, uh, you know, relatively <laughs> I will, speaking.
2: I will I will stick with my contention that even with the duster, I see Rhea Perlman, but that's just me. <laughs> okay. Hey, uh,
1: to kind of sum things up here, you can check us out on Twitter. Our handle for this particular podcast is real simple. It is at outsiders Twenty Twenty. So uh, make sure that you follow along there. We we love that. Also, make sure you tell your friends to subscribe to our RSS feed on all of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and, yes, even YouTube. Robin mm-hmm. records from his luxurious studio in Southwest Edmonton while I am uh, recording downtown Edmonton at the Road 55 studio. So uh, you're appreciated uh, very much, your support. And uh, we uh, obviously are... Uh, we love talking to people feedback is huge and it's funny. It goes in cycles. There's times when we don't hear from anybody for a bunch of weeks. And then all of a sudden we get some emails and we get some notes on our uh, Twitter account. And I, I think that that's great. So keep the comments coming. That's uh that's what keeps us going. That's for sure. So uh, that's pretty much it. Robin, anything else we've missed?
2: No, I think I'm, I think we got it pretty much covered, Bill. I think we've, Yeah, I think we've pretty
1: much covered it all, too. Next week, we're going to focus a little bit on skiing because they're opening up in Marmot Basin in -hmm. Jasper all through the Canadian Rockies. It's going to be the skiing season, so uh, we'll be talking with Brian Road next week. I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, we get bigger and better. Make sure you retweet to all your buddies. Thanks for your time. Robin, we'll talk to you next week. You sure will, pal.
0: the castle.